Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of Charlie's Corner, hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, our guest is Steve Germanson, a principal at Optus Partners. He's a senior level consultant to owners and independent agencies and brokers focused on agency valuations, ownership succession planning, mergers and acquisitions, E&O risk control and quality management. Steve began his career in 1987 with Hales and Associates, a Chicago-based insurance financial consulting investment banking firm. In 1994, Steve co-founded NSIA, an insurance agency specializing in small to mid-market accounts in the upper Midwest. As a principal, his responsibilities included M&A activity, financial controls, and reporting. After the sale of the agency and looking to return to consulting services, Steve co-founded Optus Partners in 2002. Steve pursued another ground floor opportunity in 2014 by joining startup insurance broker Prime Risk Partners. He was an integral member of the M&A team that led to Prime Risk Partners exceeding $100 million in revenue faster than any firm up to that time. The company was sold to Epic Insurance Brokers in 2019. Upon the sale of Prime Risk Partners, he returned to Optus Partners. Steve brings considerable experience and expertise in his focused efforts to develop ownership strategies for his clients. Steve earned a BA degree from St. Olaf College in 1986 with a major in economics. He is also an accredited advisor in insurance. So welcome, Steve. What a resume. Wow. Um, Thank you very much, Charlie. I'm glad to be here. We're here with you today to talk about secession planning and agency perpetuation. So the first question is, are they one of the same or are those definitions different? There's commonalities. You know, perpetuation planning most frequently talks about the successful transfer of equity, shares or units or partnership interests from one generation to the next. Succession planning, I think, is a broader concept that also includes leadership succession. So making sure that not only can you transfer the equity of a business, but also transfer the leadership of that business. Now, a lot of people align succession planning or perpetuation planning with retirement. Is that an accurate way to look at it? It's the end result, but quite frankly, the planning happens well before retirement. And ideally, a couple of decades before retirement, quite frankly, if you imagine an agency owner or a couple of owners who are in their mid 40s and they're thinking they've got the rest of their lives and they're not thinking at all about retirement, the reality is, and I know it because I've been through this part before, from 45 to 55 goes very, very fast. Being able to stop yourself for a moment, think ahead down the road to how do we want to ultimately exit the business? Will it be through a sale to a third party? Will it be transferring it to the next generation? And at age 45, that just seems like a concept that's so far off, but it comes very fast. And the work that you do at least 10 and ideally 15 to 20 years in advance can pay dividends when the time comes for a retirement. This guy and Owen in my networking group, he's a business consultant, and I've sat in on a couple of his presentations, and he always talked about when a business starts, they should have the exit strategy in mind. You're kind of confirming that that's the way to do it. You really need to be planning the exit strategy 
10, 15 years, 20 years in advance to know what outcome you want and how you want to get there. That's a very true statement and something that I remind a lot of my clients. And and it's very difficult to actually stop yourself while you're working so hard to write the next account and retain your existing accounts and build the business is and to think that far ahead is indeed a big challenge. But I would suggest that the reason why so many agencies are selling today isn't because there are a whole bunch of private equity firms willing to pay a very large dollar in a premium, quite frankly, to what could be traded internally, but it's because the agency owners at that point didn't have a choice. They didn't have the the people in place to turn the business over to. The valuations, yes, they're higher, but quite frankly, I think there are a lot of situations out there where even at an internal lower multiple of value for that internal succession, that next generation still isn't ready to take the mantle, if you will, to take on the obligation to retire that um, senior shareholder or those senior partners in, in the firm. So that I think indeed is the biggest driver of the M&A activity we see today. And it's because we just didn't plan enough in the beginning. We didn't pay attention to it enough throughout that time as we continue to build the business. You know, another great saying that we've heard in business for many years, Charlie, is, uh, is are you working in the business or on the business? And this is definitely an element where you're working on the business, creating that succession plan for future leaders and producers and creating the internal perpetuation plan for the equity of the business is something you work on and you work on it every year. Those are great points. And I have a, you know, a real life experience that I had when I left the carrier side back in 2008, I went to an independent agency in Virginia. There were three partners in there. Two were a little bit older. They were looking to retire in the relatively near future. I went in there with the idea that I would be able to pair with the younger guy of the four and that we would be able to buy the agency. But it was way too late in the game for that to happen because the other two guys got out after four years and we ended up selling to a national broker. And shame on me for not doing my due diligence, but I should have been talking to you back then. (laughs) I'm not sure it would have changed the outcome, but you would have had maybe a little bit of a better shot at it. But it's interesting you say that in a recent client engagement I had talking with a group of owners, that very topic came up of experiences I've had. And with this particular firm, more specifically, is the group of owners have for the 10 or 15 years that I've known them said, we want to be able to build the business to turn it over to the next generation. And that's terrific. And I think they're sincere about that. I, I really did all along. But when the time came to start bringing in additional shareholders at a discounted valuation to help that transaction, that was a little bit difficult, but indeed they did it. The real troubling part, the real brick wall that they couldn't quite break through is when it came to the point where you gained it out. And now the two senior guys who held 60% of the equity in the next round or two of bringing in more shareholders takes them down to below 50%. And now they have an issue because they didn't quite fully come to grips in advance of the idea of not having that voting control. And I think sincerely, they didn't understand what that would feel like at the time. And it really stopped them in their tracks. Very similar story to your experience, Charlie. One other thing that we experienced, and I'm curious to know if you see this too. When I got in there, there were four owners. I had a minority share. And you had the two that were looking to retire near term. So they weren't out producing all that much new business. The younger of the other three 
he didn't want to go produce new business because he didn't want to increase the valuation of the agency and have to pay <laughs> pay more to the other two that were retiring. And it's like, you know, what do you do in this situation? There's got to be a way around that because you're playing against yourself. Yeah, that definitely is a problem. And now everybody's frozen. And, and I'd suggest that that's an issue of, at least in part, a failure to plan, a failure to have that big picture not only just plan, but what is the mission that you're on? What are you really trying to accomplish? So if you don't, for instance, have your exit strategy identified in the fairly early days of your business, not meaning that that exit strategy can't change, but at least that target that you're shooting for, you get to those crossroads like you just described, and then everybody's frozen in their tracks because they don't have that plan to follow. That's a really good example. Another situation that I find frequently with threes is if you have one person, one of the three partners who is selling like crazy, adding value like crazy, one is absolutely on easy street kicking his feet back. And there's one in the middle looking at each other saying, what are we doing here, guys? Because this isn't working. And again, it's that failure of a common vision or a common mission that they're on. So we got to start early. Now, when you look at the pros and cons of internal versus external perpetuation, how would you summarize that? The biggest challenge today is principally private equity, but not always private equity back, is so much greater than the internal valuations. If you're the senior partner to me and I want to buy you out internally, that's going to be at a lower multiple, but it's a multiple that you won't be willing to give up. And I can't afford to pay what the outside world can pay. Those private equity backed buyers, publicly traded brokers, large independent firms who are becoming more active in the acquisition game. That's the biggest challenge right now. And that discount from external to internal can be 10, 20, as much as 40%. So it's significant. And people who are exiting, who are retiring from the business generally aren't willing to leave as much money on the table when they realize just what that delta between external and internal means. That's the biggest challenge today. But I'll circle back to uh, the beginning that says, if you don't have that vision and that mission that you're on to keep it private going forward to be able to hand it to the next generation, it's almost a fait accompli that sale will happen because you need such a commitment over such a long period of time to make it happen. And those firms that do have that commitment, that do create that something special in the organization that they can change it over year over year, I would argue that their value for the ownership group over a long period of time exceeds what they could get paid by a third party. And if you factor in reinvesting the proceeds of that sale, I'd rather be invested in the agency business that I have. That'll be a greater return. And what you're talking about in terms of that differential, I mean, that's what kind of killed our deal in terms of acquiring it was that the outside offers were so much greater than what we could pay internally. And you look at those deals today, they're at least twice as much as what, you know, in the EBITDA multiple as what we got, you know, in 2012. Honestly, I think all of this snuck up on us as an industry. So if we're in 2022 today and you go back, the first private equity venture of note in the insurance agency business was in the late 90s. And there was a little bit of activity throughout 2000 to 2010, but really about 2012 is when the momentum started picking up. By 2015, 16, it was really kicking in high gear. And then the last two or three years, it's just been through the roof. But that's only a, quite frankly, at a max, a, a 10-year window. 
where most of the agency owners, and I suspect the partners at the firm that you were with, had been running and building the agency for 25, 30, maybe even more years than that. And they never dreamed that the values would get that high. So it was easier. There wasn't the same sense of pressure to plan in advance, or it didn't feel like it back then. They never dreamt that they would have to face such a delta between internal and external valuation. I don't know that really many people 12 to 15 years ago could foresee this happening. Well, thanks, Steve. This has been great. Thanks for your time today. Before we leave, why don't you give us a quick recap in terms of how people, if they want to get in touch with you, how to go about that? The easiest way to get in touch with us is to go to our website at optisins.com. That's O-P-T-I-S-I-N-S.com. You'll see all of our contact information there. You'll get a good overview of who we are, what we do. And obviously, you feel free to call or email any one of us at any time. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks again, Steve. Charlie, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.